All right, so we are in Philippians chapter 4. And uh, good morning, everybody, by the way. Good to see you in the house of the Lord today. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, we're looking at verses 8 and 9 today. I have to tell you something, it's, it's 11 o'clock. Um, I, I, you know, usually I, I send uh, James our, the outline of the sermon on Saturday evening, and uh, he puts on in the slide form, which is really nice, so thank you, James, for that. Usually there's anywhere from seven, eight, or nine slides, but last night there were 16. <laughs> so, if you, this could take two hours, church. No, I'm only kidding, but I don't know that we're going to get through the whole thing today. I mean, we might, but if we don't, uh, at a reasonable time, I'm just going to end it and go on to next week. I've entitled the message today, At What Cost Peace? At What Cost Peace? So let me read verses 8 and 9. I'm sure you're familiar with these two verses. I'm very familiar with verse number 8. I've never preached on it. I've never heard anyone preach on it. I've read it lots of times, but I never preached on it. So preparing to preach on it gave me a whole new appreciation for it. But anyway... Uh, Verse number 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure. Oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. Let's stand together. Oh, Lord, forgive me. You know, in the Old Testament, there's a passage where everyone stood together at the reading of the word. So anyway, let's start this again. Verse number 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, Whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. And the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the peace of God will be with you. Lord God, thank you for your word. Lord, you put a lot of information in my brain and in my spirit in preparation for this. Help me, Lord, to articulate it and preach it the way you want it to be preached today so that you will be honored and glorified and your word will go forward and also that the people of God and anyone who may hear this message may learn something and get something out of it in real life. So we pray, Lord, for your Holy Spirit to take this message. Use me, Lord, to proclaim and preach the word of God. Let it change lives and give you glory at the same time. And we thank you for it. Holy Spirit, you're welcome to do your work right now during the proclamation of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. So we've been talking about the peace of God. If you look at verse number 7, how many of you remember last week? The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and guard your minds through Christ Jesus. This is a wonderful peace of God, often intangible, always needed, always welcome in our lives. The premise here, if I could just share the the premise, the background, the peace of God, let me just clarify this. The peace of God is always with us. It's not like we have to do something to get the peace of God. Um, We, however, sometimes miss it or we miss out on it because of our thoughts, our troubles, our worries, our complications, our complexities 
make us miss his peace that's already there. It's like it's hidden. We can't find it. That's why in verses 4 through 7 last week, we talked about you know, various things. If, if, we could choose joy, if we could choose to rejoice and, and worship God, if we could choose to, uh, to reflect Christ in our lives, if we could choose to understand the rapture, the coming of Christ is going to happen, if we could choose to have a prayer life, then, verse 7 happens and says, then the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your mind. But I want to tell you, we already have the peace. But what is he saying? This is kind of a complex thought. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5, if you would. Romans 5, verses 1 and 2. You might know it already when we read it, but I want you to, to see this. It's Romans 5, verse 1, it says, Therefore... Having been justified by faith. Okay, Romans 5, 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And through, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. It's a mouthful. But in salvation... Sinners are reconciled to God. We're forgiven. Burdens of sin, guilt, and shame are lifted off of us. The enmity between sinful man and a holy God is broken by the blood of Jesus Christ and by the work he did on Calvary. And we're justified, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. And we have access into this grace to live for the Lord through this peace that we have. However, because our faith is not a religion per se, you may have an argument for that, but we all know our faith is a what? A relationship. No one is dictating or putting something on us to make us do anything. It's a willing participation with God. It's a relationship with the Lord. Because we have a relationship, we have, uh, we have scriptures like Philippians 4 verses 4 through 7 to rejoice, to choose joy, to run after God, to have a prayer life, to understand the rapture of the saints. And then the peace of God will be recognized in your heart. The peace of God will guard your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. Now, I find it interesting in, in uh, Philippians 4, where we are today, in verse number 8, he says, Finally, brethren, and this is the second time he says finally, he said it in chapter 3, verse 1, but like most pastors, he's doing a good job of kind of bowing out kind of gracefully. But anyway, finally, he says, finally, uh, my brethren, you know, meditate on these things. Think about these things. And, and, the, and, and the peace of God, verse number nine, the peace of God will be with you. So he is our peace. We've got some things to do to experience his peace. Ephesians 2.14 tells us that... Uh, uh, he has broken down the wall of separation, for he is our peace. Um, we need to maintain our relationship with God to experience that peace of God. Let me try to get a little bit more deeper here. At the cross, it's finished. The, the, Jesus said, it is done. The work is done. You are reconciled to God, those who believe and accept me. 
However, the other side of that is just burning in my heart because we read other scriptures like, for instance, you may be saved, but the Lord is saying to us in Hebrews 10, 25, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is the manner of some, especially as you see the day approaching. Well, here's my thing. If you're already saved, why do you have to go to church? Unfortunately, many people make that argument. I don't need to go to church. I'm saved. Well, the scripture says you're saved, but go to church, fellowship together. Why? It says why? So that you may stir up love and good works among each other. That's why. So this is a relationship. So God did that for us. He expects us to do this for him in return. Scripture says things like, you know, pray. Well, if I'm saved already, why do I need to pray? It says to pray a lot, as a matter of fact. It says in 1 Thessalonians 5, it says pray without ceasing. Why? Because my relationship with God needs to be fresh and new and, and alive. It's like if I said to my wife 46 years ago, I love you, I'm committed to you for the rest of my life, and I never said that again, that marriage wouldn't last very long, I'll tell you right now. It's a relationship, at least once a day. At least once a day. For 46 years, hello, can you hear my heart? Pamela, I love you. I know I'm talking about you, but it's because I love you. <laughs> but, you know, we have a relationship. The scripture says, you know, things like uh, we're saved, but, but let your words, let the word of God dwell in you richly. Well, if I'm already saved, why do I need the word of God dwelling in me richly so that I could know the word and sing praises to God and bless other people with the information I have? The word of God says, you know, you might be saved, but like Paul told Timothy, you study the word of God. Why do I need to study the word of If I'm saved already, I'm good. No, the, the word says, no, you study to show yourself approved by God as a workman who rightly divides the word of truth. So there's a lot to this whole thing. I, I'm just kind of taken by the fact that we have peace but we're instructed to do things to realize the peace. I, you know, I'm, I'm so thankful to the Lord for when I got saved, how I got saved. You know, when, where, the whole deal was just a supernatural thing. Well, let me go back in my history. I, I had received the Lord a few other times before I really received the Lord. And can I tell you something? If you receive the Lord and don't do anything with it, you're probably going to shrivel up and die. F salvation is absolutely free. Maintaining it will cost you your life. Absolutely. So this is the third sermon on peace. Let me, let me, let me go a little bit more here. Are you with me, everybody? Take, take your Bible. Turn with me to uh, 1 Peter I'm mean, sorry, 2 Peter chapter, chapter 1. Let me, let me, Peter really articulated what I'm talking about here. 1 Peter, I'm sorry, 2 Peter 1. And I want to start reading at verse number 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith, with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. 
as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith. Can I just highlight those words, add to your, what, what do you mean? I thought faith, faith was enough. Peter's saying, you know what, you got faith, all these things are open to you, but you've got to add to your faith these qualities Now, I'm not saying if you don't do this, you're going to fall away and be condemned to hell. I'm not going there. I'm just saying if if we want to have the life that God planned for us to have, we need to accept what he did for us and now do our part that we see in the word of God. By the way, this is not my opinion. I'm I'm on on a roll of saying that lately. It's not what I say. It's what the word of God says. The word of God put Peter, and we know Peter, poor, I mean, Beloved Peter, the one who had a life change when he was filled with the Holy Spirit, denied the Lord, but yet 50 days later preaching the word of God. I mean, amazing, amazing. He, 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 he reflects many of our human qualities. But here he's saying, God has given you salvation. The door is open to all these wonderful promises for life and beyond. But he says in verse number five, add to your faith virtue. And, and to virtue, add knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control. And to self-control, perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness. For godliness, uh, to, uh, to godliness, add brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, add love. That's our responsibility. This is amazing to me. I didn't learn this in the first year of salvation. I kind of learned this as I went along. But listen to this, verse number eight. If these things are yours and you, ab- and you abound in them, so whose decision is that? It's up to us. If you want these, you've got to go get them. But if these things are yours and, and you abound in them, in other words, you're, you're running, you're abounding in the presence of God, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You mean God doesn't just pour it in one day? No, no, no. He saves you, yes. But now it's up to us to add to our faith these qualities that separate us from the world around us. Verse number nine, he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. I've met so many Christians that have a genuine salvation experience, but never add to their faith these qualities, never pursue God, never run after God, never rejoice like we read it last week in Philippians 4, 4, etc. And their, their life is like so-so, it's mediocre, and they never attain the position in Christ that God had for them. This is what makes pastoring such a challenge. And so exciting when people do see that and gravitate towards those things. But verse, verse number nine, it's, it's so he who lacks these things, he's short-sighted, blind. He's forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. I don't want to be like that. 
I don't want to forget that God cleansed me of my old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. You make your election, make it, make it like nailed down. You got this and you know that you know that you know that you're a saved person. You know what Christ did for you and you know that your life has turned around and you've given your heart to Jesus and you're pursuing the Lord. You, not, may not, you won't be perfect, none of us are, but you will know where you stand with God. When there's a sin in your life or you do something wrong or your mind is out in left field, you come back to a place of, oh God, forgive me, cleanse me, restore me, oh God. So if you do these things, you will never stumble. Verse 11, for so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, when you add to your faith these qualities, you have a, a pathway to follow. That's a good word right there. It's not just get saved and walk out the door and go live your life the way you think you should. No, you live your life according to what the Word of God says. So, back in Philippians 4, I've entitled the message today, At What Cost Peace? And uh, we're going to go verse by verse here, looking at the clock. And uh, like I said, there's a lot of slides <laughs> But um, let's see. I want to give you three aspects of, uh, to consider at what, at what price peace. But let's, let's look at verse number eight. We're going to look at verses eight and nine. I, I think those slides are mixed up, James. I'm sorry. But verse number eight says, finally, brethren. And we talked about this in chapter three a few weeks ago. Finally, brethren. He's winding down. He's talking, about, he's talking to the brothers and sisters in Christ, those that have repented of their sins, those that have surrendered their lives to the Lord, those that have received Jesus. Colossians 2.6 says, um, for, for if you have received Christ, so walk in him. John 1.7 says, uh, for those that have received him, he's given them the right to be called a child of God. But for those of you that have received Christ, brothers and sisters, I want to go to the end of verse number eight. Meditate on these things. Meditate. This is not transcendental meditation. This is not a new age practice of soul travel or whatever. This is not some Eastern religion. It's not even positive thinking. It's Christian meditation. Psalm 19:14 says this, let the words of my heart, uh, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Meditation is something that uh, we we must pursue, but let me say something about that. I mean, I live in the same culture you live in. And sometimes my mind is so preoccupied with stuff I feel like I can't take time to meditate. But the word tells me to meditate. So I, I want to say this. We can't be so, so busy or we can't have so many things to do or so many places to go or, or so little time to do all that we have to do that we neglect spending time with God. That's what this is about. It may mean for some of us waking up a little bit earlier 
or staying up a little bit later at night. It might mean taking time at work or sometime during the day just to get alone with God. Our dailybread.com, our daily bread is a ministry. Their, their, biblical, their definition of biblical meditation is pondering the words of Scripture with a receptive heart, trusting the Holy Spirit to work in you through those words. I don't know if you've ever done this, but in my haste sometimes, I'll read a passage of Scripture and go on to something else and not even remember what I just read. That's the wrong way to go about it. Whenever I realize that, I go back and read it again just to make sure I got it. I've even, I even watched the, uh, the little videos on the, on the Bible app. What is it called? Bible? I forget what it is right now. Bible.com or whatever. You have a little video teaching every day. I'll look at that, and 10 minutes later, i say, what did they say? I'll go back and look at it again. Just to hear the word, to slow it down and meditate on the word of God. So we can attempt to do this. Maybe we'll get through it. I'm not really sure. But anyway, verse number eight has eight qualities, eight things to meditate on. Like I said, I've never preached on it before. I've never heard a message on it before. But I want to take some time and go over this because I think it will be helpful for all of us. In fact, if we were to do verse number eight, I'll guarantee you it would revolutionize our lives. Because our lives are so characterized by negativity and one-upness. It's so contrary to what the Word of God says to be like or to do. If we were to do these things, life would be a whole lot simpler and a whole lot easier. However, we're bombarded with just the opposite of these things. I was watching the news the other night. Everything I heard about, somebody got killed, someone did something ridiculous. I mean, I, was, I turned it off. I said, Lord... What if I don't need this in my life right now? I want to know what's going on, but I, I, I can't take it right now. This was Boston news, by the way. There's a lot of bad news. But the things that we hear about culturally, unfortunately, are, are in such contrast to what the Word of God presents us to do and think about. And, and it may be kind of natural in a way. If we feed ourselves with secular news and entertainment, well, of course we're going to be thinking like that. But that is contrary to this. And we may be saved, but we won't be experiencing the peace of God that we're talking about. Are you with me? In other words, you can't receive Christ and live your old life the way you did before and expect to feel the peace of God. It doesn't work that way. So let's just go through this. Uh, verse number 8a. I have it, have it by letter. So there's A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Meditate on whatever things are true. Okay. Whatever things are factual, real, honest. But these must be steeped in the word of God. I think the meditating on what is true is the foundation for all the other qualities we're supposed to be meditating on. So I would just follow along with me. I'm not, I'm not going to go to every scripture. I'm going to go to John 18 in just a minute. But in John 1, 14, the word of God says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, uh, that he, uh, was full, well, he was full of mercy and truth. When Jesus became flesh, he was full of truth. John 3, 3, uh, John 3, 33 
John the Baptist speaking here says that Jesus, who, who, um, who received the testimony of his father, has certified that God is true. John 7, 18 says the one uh, who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true. John 14, 6 says he's the way, the truth, and the life. John 4, 24 says, whoever worships God must worship him in spirit and truth. So we're, we're called to meditate on things that are true. May I make a strong suggestion? This has to refer to the word of God. There's not a lot. How do you even know what's true anymore? You don't even know. I listen to one news station. They tell me one thing. This one tells me a completely different story. I don't know what's true, what's not true. But I know that the word of God is true. Meditate on the truth. John 18, 37, which I have on the board, on the screen, is the story when Jesus was standing before Pilate. And Pilate says to Jesus, are you a king? And Jesus says, yes. And I've come to bear witness of the truth. And he says, well, what is truth? And you know what Jesus did? He did nothing. He stood there silently as though he was saying, this is the truth. I'm ready to die for the sins of humanity. This is the truth. And after that, he was led out to be scourged and crucified and died. So when we are called to meditate on what is true, we're called to center on Jesus' life, his teachings, his fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies, the soon coming king and Lord of lords. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek Jesus first. Meditate on Jesus first. And all these other things will be added to you. That's the truth right there. And if you're like me, I'll tell you what. Sometimes I'll wake, my first waking thought in the morning is worry. I, I'm, I have to say, I'm sorry. I worry. I say, oh Lord, help, forgive me. I'm going to meditate on you because nothing surprises him. He's got today in his hands. Every day, I think I told you this, every day I say, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit for today. I need you today. Thank you for yesterday, but I need you today. I need you next week, but right now, I need you today. I need to meditate on the truth that my God is right here with me. Oh, Lord, I have so many things to do. I'm right here with you. Lord, I got my car. No, I'm right here. That's the truth. I will take care of you. I'll provide for you. I'll help you. So if we could get that first thing down, I think we'd be better off. Whatever is true, meditate on those things. Find what's true in the word of God. 8B, whatever things are noble, whatever things are honorable, venerable, respectful, this is the opposite of most news and media and worldly endeavors. I'm amazed. I shouldn't be amazed anymore. But when I go to a certain web page, a news web page, everything's scandalous, everything's salacious, most of it's immoral. Uh, re- remembering pornography is a multi billion dollar industry. What's that movie called? Sound of Silence? Sound of Freedom. I didn't see it yet. I want to see it. Story of human trafficking that's so rampant in the world. So much uh, promiscuity. Uh, It's like the base things of life 
the, the, common, the least common denominator has penetrated our news cycles and our culture. Whatever is the basest thing that we could do, that's what everyone's reading about and dwelling in. And that is opposite of thinking about meditating on things that are noble. You see the problem we have? We're living in this culture that's just the opposite of the word of God. And it's so accepted. It's so, it's so big. And it's so accepted and embraced that that is the norm when this is the norm. You ever wonder, like, what is, what's normal? What, do you find normal in the word of God, not in the culture that we live? Turn with me again to Psalm, Psalms number one. Psalm number one. I'll give you a second extra to get there. I'll count down from five. Five, four, three, two, one. Everybody there? Psalm chapter one. Blessed is the man or woman who walks in the counsel, who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sin, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Can I just say something there? Walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. When we put ourselves in our culture head first, without any discernment, we're putting ourselves in harm's way. I'm not saying we need to isolate. I'm saying we need to be protected. We need to protect ourselves from the culture around us. He says, but his delight, it's not, his delight is not in those things. Think about it. Think about what you might watch on TV or what movies you may go to see. Or what you do on social media. Think about all that stuff that we're all exposed to. If we're indulging in all of that, those things are not noble. Those things are base elements. So blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. In other words, the word of God. So right there, if, if, we, if, if we take this with us, now we have it on our, our phone app all the time, you know, whatever we have for the word of God. But if we let this be our guide in our culture today, we're basically ostracized. The world is sitting in the seat of the scornful and the scoffers, sitting in the seat of the scoffers. Everyone's doing it, who cares? But we who love the word of God, we're like over here now. But that's what the Lord is calling us to do. If we want the peace... Whatever is true, whatever is noble. Those things are not noble. It says, his delight is in the law of the Lord. In his law, he meditates day and night. Wow, he meditates day and night on the word of God. I, as, as I remember, this was written, you know, during David's reign, thousands of years ago, but I still think there were 24 hours in a day back then. Were there not? Or did something change along the way? There are 24 hours then, there's 24 hours now. But blessed is the man or woman who spends time in the word of God, meditates on the word of God. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does, he'll prosper. Wow. Take that to New Testament. You receive Christ and you leave it alone. How profitable how, how good, how blessed, your life will be blessed. But if you were to receive Christ and run after him, pursue him, 
reprioritize everything in your life, how, what the blessing of God will do for you is so high. And you, so you can see, there's a difference in people. There's a difference in the church, actually. Every church, every, the, the church at large. There are those that are hungry and pursuing and running after God. They're there all the time. They're worshiping God no matter what. They're faithful. And there's others that are just tiptoeing through the tulips, making it when they can, and who knows what's going on, but they're okay, and they're saved, and whatever. I'm saying it's, your, it's our choice what we're going to do. But if we want God's blessing, meditate on things that are true. Meditate on things that are noble. Paul said it like this in Colossians 3. Set your minds on things above where Christ is, not on earthly things. 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, verse 7 says that love bears all things, believes all things, and hopes all things, and endures all things. Meditate on those noble things in life. And if you're not around nobleness, you become noble. You be the example. You be the one that has a higher authority. You be the one that's not succumbing to the pressures of life to, to indulge in the base elements of life. Okay, back in Philippians 4, verse number 8. I'm going to just going to do one more, I think. And we'll have to wrap it up. But verse 8c says, meditate on things that are just, things that are morally right and fair. Can you see where this has taken us? Can you see how the culture we live in is pulling us down and the Lord is trying to pick us up? But uh, meditate on things that are just. We read in the Bible, Noah was a just man. Joseph was a just man when he wanted to put Mary away secretly. Jesus was just, Acts 3.14. He's called the Holy One and the Just. So when we meditate on things that are just, this eliminates immorality, meanness, vindictiveness, prejudices, or perversions. We meditate on things that are just, that are morally right. Proverbs 14, 12 says that um, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. So we meditate on things that are just and good and wholesome and holy and right. I don't know. I could continue. Can I, can I continue a little bit more? One more? I got a couple. Well, it says, the next thing says, meditate on things that are pure, holy, not polluted, like water is supposed to be clean. All the bad things are taken out. Pure water. Pure gold is all the, all the dross has been, all the, all the bad elements have been taken out of pure gold. And same thing with the person or with a thing or a situation. It's unpolluted, unspotted by the, wor by the world. Meditate on things that are, that are pure. Let me give you three things on this one topic. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, Take every thought captive 
for the pulling down of strongholds. That's pretty pure. I think sometimes we're, we get into a situation where our thoughts are so much like the world, we don't know what we're doing. And the Word of God says, every th- bring every thought captive to the Word of God, captive to Christ for the pulling down of those strongholds that the culture is trying to rip out from you. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupt speech proceed from your mouth, but, but, uh, but goodness for edification, uh, and that you may impart grace to the hearer. So what we think and what we say is very important. Let, let our words be pure and holy. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. So this would eliminate gossip and slander and hurtful words and hurtful posts on Facebook or Twitter account or whatever you do. These will, these will eliminate things that demean or bring people down. It would be, do the opposite. It would be pure and holy and uplifting. Meditate on these things. You see, if we're spending hours on, on Facebook or social media, a lot of what we hear and see and read about is not pure. It's unholy. It's the way of the world. Yeah, I know there's Christian things on there, thankfully, but we have to look at our culture as a mission field, not our backyard. Our culture is our mission field. We're called to be a light in the darkness, not to blend in with the darkness. We're called to be different from the darkness around us. Let me keep going here a little bit. The next verse, verse 8e. Whatever is lovely, whatever is lovely, this is a word based in the word love, right? The love. But GodQuestions.com says it this way. That which is lovely will attract, please, and win other people's admiration and affection. Something lovely is a unifier. It's based on mutual love and respect and values. Uh, when, we, when we experience things that are lovely, it pulls us together. The things that are, 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 are warming of the heart, warming of the soul, brings people together. It brings people together with a common respect and a common purpose. Let's go over to Romans chapter 13 real quick here. Romans 13 and verse number 8. Based in the word love, Romans 13, verse 8. Owe no man anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet, if there's any other commandment, are all summed up in the saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So whatever is lovely, pleasing, soothing, good, anything that's of beauty, and uh, appealing to the heart and the soul, meditate on those things, things that are grounded in love. Let me go on here. Verse number 8F, whatever's of good report, whatever's of good report, meditate on these things. That's thought of well or regarded as well, favorably, pleasing to God. Psalm nineteen fourteen again, verse 14 should say, uh, let, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. This eliminates 
gossip, lies. Did you hear the latest thing about so-and-so? Twisted thinking, hurtful comments, slanderous things. But a good report pleases God and pleases people. It builds people up. And let me give you a little hint here, now that I'm getting in preaching mode. Just because you know something doesn't give you the right or the authority to say something. And just because you feel something about somebody in no way gives you the authority to say it to the person. Whatever's of good report, filter it through your mind and spirit before you say what's on your heart or what's on your mind. My mother taught me, and your mother probably taught you, or somebody probably taught you, if you can't say anything good about someone, say nothing at all. Great advice. Verse number eight, whatever is of virtue, virtue, moral excellence. That's the first thing that Peter says, add to your faith virtue. In other words, when I got saved, I wasn't all of a sudden morally excellent. Let me tell you right now. I was saved. I had to work some things out in my life. Add to your faith virtue. Become morally aware of where we stand in light of the word of God. Faith saves you. Moral excellence will keep you. Some Christians never, never grow past salvation and they still live an immoral life and their life is like shipwrecked. Virtue is moral excellence. The last one is, is praiseworthy. Whatever's praiseworthy, whatever brings glory and honor to God, meditate on these things. Psalm 150 says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Whatever's praiseworthy. Whatever's uplifting to God, meditate on those things. If we do those eight things, church, it'll change our whole existence. I'm convinced of it. We are so far away from doing this. All of, the whole Christian world is. We're so far away from doing this. No wonder why many don't experience the peace of God. So there's whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's of good report or a virtue or praiseworthy, meditate, ponder, think about, contemplate these things. And then in verse number nine, real quickly, he says, whatever you learned and received from me, either by letter or by word of mouth, whatever you heard and saw in me, by my example, do them, Paul says, do these things. James 1.22, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. Okay, I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to give you the three points that I'll preach on the three points, Lord willing, next Sunday. But let me give you, give them to you. If, if, uh, at what cost peace? Okay, maybe the, the last slide, James, I don't know. But at what cost peace? Number one, the cross. If you want peace in your life, you've got to come to the cross. You got to surrender it all to the Lord. Start at ground zero. Accept Jesus Christ. Number two is, you have to think differently. You can no longer think the way you used to think. There's so many examples in the Word of God. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the what? By the renewing of your mind, that you may know that good, perfect will of God for your life. And the third one is to be obedient to the Word of God. I'll, I'll get into those three points next week, Lord willing. But at what cost peace? It cost Jesus his life. It will cost our life as well to experience all that he has for us. Let me just say this in closing. There's grace involved. 
When we fall short or fail, there's grace to see us through. The Lord always picks us up. We may get dirty, we may fall, we may do something idiotic and sinful. The Lord is always there to pick us up again. Let's not stop running the race because we may have failed somewhere along the line. That's more reason to get back into the fire of the fellowship and pursue God again like maybe you did before. Let's stand together. And we're going to read uh, verse number 9 in closing. All right, Philippians 4, 9. Let's read it together if we can. These things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Now let's say it one more time, and let's say it loud. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the peace of God will be with you. Amen? Every head bowed for just a moment. Hallelujah. Whew, I know the Lord gave us a lot here today. I know that. But here's my question. Is there somebody here that you have received salvation? Hallelujah. But you're not, you haven't received peace. You have peace, but you're not living in peace. You know you have peace with God because your sins are forgiven and you're okay. But there's not peace in your life. And right now, after hearing this message today, you're determined to run after God, to seek that peace that only he can give. Is there anyone like that at all? Anyone like that? I'm, I'm, my hands are raised. I'm, I'm going to run after God. Father, Lord, in the name of Jesus, we come before you today, understanding, Lord, that our peace begins with salvation. Father, I pray for anybody here, anybody online that is not in a right relationship with you before they walk out the door or sign off the, the Facebook uh, video, that they will make their peace with you. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit will move upon people right now, bring conviction to our hearts. And Lord, also, I want to pray for others that are still in the old way of thinking. Lord, your word says we can't put new wine in an old wineskin. We've got to have a new wineskin so that this new wine, that this new presence of God can come in. We can grow with you in that. So Lord, help us to think with a newness of heart and soul and spirit. And Lord, for the third part, we pray, Lord, you would help us to be obedient to your word. These are not, well, they are suggestions, but you're, you're really telling us how to live our lives that we could get the most out of life. So, Lord, help us to gravitate to the things in your word and to feel and sense your peace in our lives. So I thank you, Lord. I pray your blessing upon the congregation today, those here, those online as well. Let us reflect on this word and think about what we can do to experience all you've purchased for us. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen and amen. Well, praise the Lord. Let's see. Let me, before we go, Lee's going to be up here for the Instant Church Directory. Alan's over there for the church picnic. And uh, let me see here.